This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. This morning we want to look at Mary's story. And surely no woman in the history of mankind has captured the imagination of all people in every generation than Mary. Is highly favored, greatly blessed mother of Jesus. And to be the one chosen by God himself to give birth to his own son and then to nurture and nurse him and raise him, knowing all the time that he was truly the son of God, must have been the ultimate honor and privilege. And it would have been for any woman in the world but particularly for any woman in Israel to give birth to the Messiah. But Mary alone was given this incredible responsibility. But before we look at her wonderful calling and privilege that she received, let me say that it is truly unfortunate that two mistakes has been made regarding Mary. In the Protestant tradition, we have failed miserably to honor this blessed woman. We honor the great, the greats in the New Testament like Peter and Paul and John, and we honor the greats in the Old Testament like Abraham and Moses and David and so forth. But when it comes to this woman who had the most unique calling in the whole world ever, the Protestant tradition, we rarely give her a mention. And on the other side, in the Roman Catholic tradition, we have gone to the opposite extreme, to the place where she is practically worshipped. And so, too often Protestants fail to honour her, and too much in the Catholic tradition, it goes to the extreme the other way. And so both have erred. Nowhere in Scripture does it even remotely hint that Mary should be worshipped or that she should be prayed to or that she dispenses graces and blessings to those who are believers. Nowhere in Scripture talks about, again in the Roman Catholic tradition, about an immaculate conception. Now, whenever they would speak of an immaculate conception, that's not talking about the miraculous conception of Jesus being born in the womb of Mary. But it's talking about Mary herself, where the tradition has been that somehow that her conception was immaculate that she was conceived without any tint of Adam's sin. In other words, that she was sinless. And that is simply a tradition of men. It is not in the Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, for instance, that she was, when she died, that she was bodily taken up into heaven, which is the assumption of Mary. Coming from the Latin word, mean taken and that somehow that she was taken bodily into heaven 
and there she sits and reigns as queen of heaven dispensing graces. Again, purely, purely the imagination of man's thinking. Nowhere in scripture does it say that Mary was a mediatrix, that she was co-mediator. Of course, Roman Catholic tradition would say, well, we know that there is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, which is scripturally true. But because she gave birth to Christ, and because of her special <coughs> position and the special privileges that she had, that somehow or other, even though she's not taking the place of Christ, but somehow or other that she is a mediator between us and Christ. The argument, of course, the old argument is that what better way to get to the son than through the mother? But again, none of that has any bearing whatsoever in Scripture. None. Another mistake is made that, and not everyone in the Catholic tradition believes this, that she was co-redemptrix. In other words, that she had a part to play in the redemption of men. And of course, the argument would be then that no, there's only one Redeemer, and that's true. But because that she gave birth to the Redeemer, then she has that special uh, position and privilege of being co-redemptrix. Sally and I, seven years ago, we were in Seville, Spain. I know that some of you have visited Seville, a beautiful city in Spain. And uh, we just happened to be close by Seville Cathedral, which is the third largest cathedral in the world. And it's beautifully ornate, beautiful building, huge building. And as we walked in there, the first thing that we saw, and, and there's various chapels in it, but the first thing we saw was this golden, massive golden shrine in honor of Mary. And there was a few hundred seats and people sitting on them, all facing Mary. And then over my left, and it was sad, sad for me to say, but over my left, there was a crucifixion scene, Jesus on the cross, and about six people looking at it. So it was obvious the veneration of Mary was a big thing in Seville Cathedral, as it is in many cathedrals. And probably the most popular pope in, in, in many, many years was John Paul II, and who dedicated his whole pontificate, his whole reign as pope, he dedicated not to Christ, but to Mary. In fact, he left in his will the care of the church to Mary. Now, there are multitudes of devout Roman Catholics who are devoted to Mary. I, I have several cousins who are devout Roman Catholics who love Mary, who pray to Mary, who are devoted to Mary. And they mean that. They're very, very sincere because that's what they have been taught. And they believe that she sits dispensing grace and blessings to, to them and to others, that she's a mediator between them and Christ. But all of that, all of that, sadly, takes away from Christ's ministry. It does not add to it. It takes away from it. Even in Christ's day, there were those who thought that it was right and proper to emphasize her role as Jesus' mother. And Jesus soon put them right. So this morning, as we look at this wonderful, blessed mother of Jesus, and she was all of that and more, we want to get a balance and understand her position.
and honor that, but not worship that. In Luke chapter 11, you don't need to turn to this, but in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, 28. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, More than that, above and beyond all of that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So what was Jesus doing here? Jesus was being very, very careful. Yes, he loved his mother. Yes, she was blessed. But he was very, very careful to make sure that he had the preeminence. Jesus always has the preeminence. And so Protestants, on the other hand, not wanting, I suppose, to make an idol of Mary have on the whole neglected, terribly neglected to tell her story. And what a story it is. What an awesome privilege that this young woman had. So let's now look at Mary, this highly favored, blessed among women. And let's honor her for what she was and for what she did. Now I told you to turn to Luke chapter 1 and because of the familiarity with the Christmas story and because of time, I'm only going to read some sections of it this morning and comment. But the chapter opens with the angel Gabriel visiting the priest Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And how that he told Zacharias that after all these years and after his wife being barren all these years, because they were old now, that miraculously that his wife was going to become pregnant and that little child within her would be called John and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah that was to come. And whenever the angel told Zacharias this, he was so full of unbelief, he could not believe it. And so the angel struck him dumb for nine months. And in fact, until the very moment, whenever he named him John. Can you imagine what it must have been like in that household for nine months? And he couldn't speak. There must have been a lot of hand waving and sign language and writing down on tablets. And when I say tablets, I'm not talking about Android and Apple tablets, I'm talking about clay tablets. And so... Six months later, the same angel, Gabriel, the messenger angel, comes to Mary, to this young peasant woman. And she would be only about 15 years old. Think about it, just the age. <coughs> Caitlin, you're about 15 plus, aren't you? Just about the age of Caitlin. I mean, this is amazing. And so this angel comes to this beautiful, young, godly, gracious woman. And it was the time that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, a carpenter from Nazareth. And even though they were both of the royal line of David, that she, through David's son Nathan, 
and Joseph through David's son Solomon. But yet the lineage of David had fallen upon hard times. And we know that they were very, very poor because whenever she did of Jesus, and eight days later she had to go to the temple and dedicate him to the Lord, all they could offer was two turtle doves. Should have been a lamb, but they couldn't afford a lamb. So the law allowed two turtle doves. So we know that they were poor. And so with, with that in mind, and that background, let's begin to read here uh, from Luke chapter 1. And we'll explain some things as we go through it. So reading from verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now we know that Nazareth did not have a good reputation. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, Nathaniel said? And so it had a bad reputation. It was a bad neighborhood. But that's where they lived. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And it says betrothed, some of your translations perhaps says espoused. Betrothed and espoused means the same thing. What does that mean? Well, this happened in, in three stages. Uh, marriages in those days, almost all of them, I'm sure, were arranged marriages. And so from these two, from Mary and Joseph, were just kids. Their parents would have already got together and decided, decided that they would marry later in life when they're at a certain age. And so uh, they were spoken for, we would say today. But whenever they would come to about that age of 15 or 16, then there would be the espousal or the betrothal. Uh, in, in our language today, it would be more like an engagement. Only for them, it was much more binding. It was a legal thing. And so the families again would come together. There'd be two witnesses. A little contract would be signed. A dowry would be given. And from that moment, they were as good as married, except there was no consummation of the marriage. There was no honeymoon at that point. And so, legally concerned, they would be married. And the only thing that could separate them would either be death or divorce. But to everybody, and to them, they were married. And that betrothal would last about a year, roughly about a year. And during that time, there would be a courtship. It would be a very strict courtship because it had to be chaperoned at all times. And so somebody would have to be within sight, sight, if not earshot, of their conversations. But then after that period of time, then, in this case it would be Joseph, <clears throat> during that year, he would be making a home for them. And so after that year or so, he would leave the home that he had made for them, and he would <coughs> come to her home. And it usually would be at night, late at night, that they have torches and, and, and an entourage and somebody going beforehand and shouting, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go you out to meet him. And so you can see the analogy here of Christ's second coming and how he's coming for his bride. And we've got to be ready to meet him. And then, of course, he would take her back to the home that he had prepared for her. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. And so that's 
that's what happens during the espousal. Now, it's in this second part, that's when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. <clears throat> and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. And the word favored there is the exact same word that we get grace from, charis, letting us know that wonderful as Mary was, godly as she was, the privilege that she had, it was all of God's grace. It was, it was not of anything of her merit. It was all of God's grace. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, not above women, but among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying. She was afraid. She was very nervous. She was agitated. And who wouldn't be? Imagine a great big angel coming just suddenly appearing in front of you and saying that you're highly favored of God, you're greatly blessed. And what she was about to be told would trouble her all the more. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Or Savior, it really means going to be the savior of the world you shall call his name jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the lord will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end now remember this is a 15 year old girl and god is coming to her with a massive announcement that would shake her to her foundations. <coughs> How is she going to even explain this to anybody? Who would believe her? Would you believe her? Would her parents believe her? Would Joseph believe her? If a 15-year-old came to you and said, the angel Gabriel has appeared to me and said, I'm going to give birth to the Savior of the world, would you believe her? I don't think so. And so this is an incredible thing that she is facing right now and she's only 15 what a load to put on shoulders of a 15 year old young woman but God had every confidence in her she was godly she was devout she was pure, she was chaste and God was going to use her in an incredible way then Mary said to the angel how can this be since I do not know a man? So even though she was only 15, she knew the biological processes and she knew this was impossible. How can this be? She couldn't get her head around it, we would say. This is biologically impossible. I know not a man. Haven't been in the honeymoon yet. Can't be. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Ah. Well, that explains everything. 
or does it? How could you get your head around that? How could you even begin to understand that you can't? It's impossible even to understand that. What's she going to do? Who's she going to tell? What's her parents going to say? What's the neighbors going to say? What's Joseph going to say? What's the whole town going to say? Who in the world is going to believe this? So here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. But you know, God has wonderful ways of encouraging those who are obedient, who take steps of faith and obedience. Even though we can't understand it, even though we don't know yet how this is going to happen, but God has spoken and we obey. But God knows how we feel, so he encourages. Listen to this. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, some say her cousin, some say her aunt, but let's just say her cousin. Indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and is now in the sixth month for her who has been called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Ah, Elizabeth, her cousin, she knows her. She knows how old they are. She knows that they have been wanting a child for years and couldn't have it because Elizabeth was barren. She knows that it's way beyond the age of childbearing for Elizabeth. And yet the angel's saying, but wait a minute, your cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. What an encouragement. Because if that's possible for Elizabeth, surely then it's possible for me. If God can do that for Elizabeth, then he can do this for me. And suddenly, suddenly, faith is rising up in her heart. She's been encouraged. And all of us need encouragement, don't we? If we're following the Lord and we're obeying his instructions and we're doing his will, we need encouragement along the way because we're human and we need help. And then Mary says, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now I think this is wonderful. Let it be to me according to your word. No more talking. No more explanations needed. No more looking into this any longer. I am going to do what you have said. Zacharias was a priest for years. And when the same angel told him about his wife, he did not believe it. And he was a priest. He should have known better. He should have remembered Abraham and Sarah and how God gave them a child when they were past childbearing age. But he didn't. And he was struck dumb for it. Moses the great Moses, when God came to him in the backside of the desert and said, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He made every excuse he could think of not to do it. He didn't want to do it. 
you know, God, that I'm a man of slow speech. I stammer. I, I have no good at talking. I can't do this. This was the man who spent his first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's palace. Gideon. Whenever God came to Gideon, the angel of the Lord, when he's in the threshing floor, hiding from the Midianites, and the angel says, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> God has chosen you to deliver these from the hand of the Midianites. And what did he do? He set out all kinds of fleeces. He wanted all kinds of convincing arguments to, to win him over. <coughs> Jonah, the great preacher Jonah, when God says, go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent, he didn't want to do it, and he didn't want to do it, and he ran away. But here's this young 15-year-old girl and she's been asked to do the most incredible thing in the history of mankind. Nobody else had ever done this. Nobody else had ever, had ever been asked to do it. After this, there's nothing she could go by. But she says, let it be unto me according to your word. I think that she's worth honoring this morning. I think that she had incredible faith. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Let me just back up for a second. Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and it's not with his child. What's he going to do? We'll talk about him in a moment. Well, if he accuses her of adultery, because remember now they're legally married, if he accuses her of adultery, She's going to have to go to a priest and sentence will be pronounced. And mostly it would be death by stoning. And he would have to cast the first stone. So here she's going, knowing all this, and she's going to the house of a priest. It takes a wee bit of courage, doesn't it? Or does it? because this is no ordinary priest. If anybody is going to believe her, it's going to be Zacharias, <laughs> because the same angel that appeared to him appeared to her, and he's not wanting to contradict that angel again. He doesn't want struck down for another nine months. And of course, Elizabeth is going to be thrilled, and she was, for as soon as she brought a greeting, Little John the Baptist, he could stand it no more. And he leapt in her womb. And I'm sure he shouted hallelujah, but I don't know. He leapt in her womb. And immediately she was filled with the Holy Spirit. What a moment that must have been. And then Elizabeth, then she spoke out with a loud voice and says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who has believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her of the Lord. Mary, you're right. Mary, absolutely, I believe you. Mary, you're going to have the Son of God. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. What an encouragement to her faith. What a confirmation to what the angel has said. We see how God has, if I can use the term, engineered all of this for them to come together. And I, I think this is nice also, that here is the, the elderly, the old woman. And she's in the last three months of her pregnancy. And here's the young woman in the first three months of her pregnancy. And they're both related and they both come together. God was working at both ends for both of them. And Elizabeth would be inspired by this young woman. And this young woman would be encouraged by the maturity and the wisdom that Elizabeth would have. And God brought them both together. You know, church is an intergenerational thing, isn't it? And, and the young people should be encouraged by the wisdom and the maturity of the older saints, and the older saints should be inspired and challenged by the zeal and the faith of the young people. That's the way that it should be. And then Mary began to sing this song of Mary. It's headed in my Bible. This, it's almost like a psalm in the New Testament. And I, I'm just going to quickly read it and just make a, a comment. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's called Mary's Magnificat from the Latin. And this is where it comes from, from magnify. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary was not born sinless. If she was, she did need a Savior. But she says, my Savior. God, my Savior. Every sinner needs a Savior. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his seed forever now think of this here's this 15 year old and this just flows out of her spontaneously if you're to read in 1 Samuel 2 if you're to read the, the great rejoicing prayer and song of Hannah you would see a lot of similarities. So she was very, very familiar with the scriptures. In fact, in that portion I just read, in her song, she refers to 23 different Old Testament scriptures that she knew off her top of her head. They were in her heart. 23. How many 15-year-old Christians could quote 23 scriptures? How many adults could quote 23 scriptures? just spontaneously how could she do that because they were in her heart 
because from her mother's knees she had learned the Old Testament scriptures, could memorize probably chapters of it, and she's only 15. 15-year-old Christians today, both girls and fellas, they could remember 23 pop songs, every word verse by verse. But could you remember even one scripture? She is an incredible young woman. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to the Lord. So here's Joseph. <clears throat> he has a dilemma. He's between a rock and a hard place. The woman he loves, the one he wants to spend the rest of his life with, the one that he knows he was due to live with forever. She's got to tell him that she's pregnant. And he knows it's not his. Now put yourself in Joseph's boots. Would you believe that story? I don't think so. And suddenly, what's he going to do? Is he going to call her out as an adulterer? Is he going to see her stoned? No, he loves her. He loves her with all of his heart. But he's an honorable man, he's a devout man, he's a just man, the Bible says. He doesn't want to do that, but he can't marry her. Because if he marries her, everybody's going to say, ah, well, we know how she got pregnant. So what's he going to do? Well, the scriptures say he decided to put her away privately. He'll write out a bill of divorcement. He'll put her away privately. And there'll be a few tongues wag, but that'll be the end of it. At least she'll be safe. She'll not be stoned. If he puts her away privately, his honor will be intact because everybody will say, well, it wasn't his to begin with. Now remember, he has three months to deal with this. The angel didn't just come to him right away at the same time as Mary. He had three months to mull over this and deal with it. It was a big, big test for this man. But it shows us how just he was and how devout he was and how good a man he was <coughs> because he was honorable but he wanted the best for Mary because he loved her. And then the angel came and says, take unto you Mary your wife because that which is going to be born in her is of the Holy Spirit. It truly is Christ the Son of God. Came to him in a dream. And when he woke up, he was absolutely convinced. And he took her. Even though they were legally married, but he took her into his home. 
What an incredible story this is, isn't it? Because you see, sometimes we read these Christmas stories and we just quickly read through them and never actually think what it must have been like. So God, when he chose Mary, he had also chosen Joseph. And out of all the men of Israel, he got the right man to look after his son when he would be born and to teach him a trade and to teach him honor in business and everything because he was an honorable man. He was a poor working man, but an honorable, just, and devout man, a man who would know the scriptures, a man who would teach his children the law. Now, apart from the story of Christ's birth, there are just a few other references to Mary in scripture. In fact, in the first 30 years of Christ's life, there's only one record of Mary since that period. And that, you remember, whenever they went up to the temple at the feast and how after three days they discovered that Jesus wasn't with them. And they went back and there was Jesus in the temple talking with the, the theologians and asking them and answering their questions. And you remember how that they were upset and, and she scolded Jesus a little bit and said, do you not know that your father and I, do you not know that we're, we're really, really anxious and, and, and we were worried sick, I'm paraphrasing, we were worried sick about you? Remember what he said? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? <coughs> At 12 years old, he knew who he was. He knew why he had came. And notice at 12 years old, he's already putting a little distance between his ministry and his mother. Now, he loved her, no question of that. And would honor her right up to his death. But now he's putting a little bit of distance here. Because he knew down through the centuries what would happen regarding Mary. So he's letting us know in his word, he's putting a little bit of distance here between them. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is, is preaching and he's casting out devils. And the religious establishment is really, really against him now. And they hate him. And they falsely accuse him unjustly. And he's in this house and there's a big crowd around and he's there with his disciples and he's been casting out devils and those scribes and Pharisees, they said, well, the reason he can do that is because he's in league with the prince of the devils, Beelzebub, the biggest demon. He's in league with him. That's how he can do this. And Jesus said, well, how's divided itself can't stand? That's nonsense. So his mother and his brothers come. Maybe they were concerned because opposition was starting to get pretty strong against Jesus, but this is halfway through his ministry. And so they come to the house in verse 31 of Matthew 3, it says, Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. A multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looked around in a circle 
all those who sat about him, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Notice here again, he's putting a distance between his ministry and his mother. Now, of course, she would be a typical Jewish mother. She's much older at this time, of course, and be a typical Jewish mother and, and would like to interfere. Jewish mothers are famous for interfering. They love to interfere. But Jesus is putting the distance here because he knows who he is. He knows what he's come to do. And as much as he loves her, there's a distance. You see, when you're called of God, there's going to be all kinds of people who's going to try to interfere in that calling. And sometimes it could be family. It could be close family. I know people who said to me, I should be on the mission field, but I didn't because my family didn't want me to. Remember the marriage feast in Cana? And how in John 2, how that it says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, but Jesus was invited. But Mary was there, which would imply that she was probably related to the couple who were getting married. And so she was there. She was involved in that whole deal. But Jesus and disciples and others was invited. And how that the wine was running out and she went to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And Jesus says, woman, what has that got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Because of time, I haven't time to go into all this right now, but what hour is he speaking about? Some say, well, he was talking about his the marriage supper of the Lamb in the future, but don't think so because he kept talking about his hour hasn't come and the hours of darkness, their hour has come. So perhaps he was talking about the cross. And so he's being polite. He's being courteous, but he's putting the distance between him and his mom. And she realized that, and she backed off, but she said to the servants, and I can imagine her pointing over to him and saying, whatever he says to you, you do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Those were the last recorded words in the scriptures of Mary. And what a sentence that is. Whatever he says to you, it. When the angel came to her at the beginning, let it be unto me according to your word. Now she's saying whatever he says to you, whatever his word is, you do it. She knew he was. She knew he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God, that he had the power to do this, that he had the power to turn water into wine. Moses turned water into blood, but he could turn water into wine just as easy. And Jesus did do that. Moments later, he told those standing, the servants, fill up the water pots with water, not the wine pots, 
because then somebody might have thought, well, there's wine in there all the time. Now, the water pots, those big water pots that people washed their hands in when they came in to dine, filled those up with water, and then you could see it was full of water, and then pour out, and as they poured out, now, whether it turned into wine when they put the water in or whether it turned out into wine when they poured the water out, I don't know. But something happened in a split second. And all those months of natural processes was instantly done. And suddenly there was wine. This beginning of miracles did Jesus and showed forth his glory at a wedding and he saved the blushes of a bridegroom because it was his job to make sure there's enough refreshments. But notice again the distance he's putting between him and his mother. Let me just finish up with this. In John chapter 19, John chapter 19, this is the scene around the cross. And of course, Mary is there, his mother. And this is the most poignant, and it must have been the most painful moment in her, of her whole life. Now she's about 50 years old by this time. She's not a wee teenage mother now, she's a 50-year-old woman. She has a whole family. Jesus had brothers and sisters, by the way. So the teaching from the Catholic tradition that she had perpetual virginity, that God made it so that when Christ was born, she was still a virgin afterwards, there's no basis in Scripture, folks. But here she's standing at the cross, looking up at her son, who has been beaten, his beard has been plucked, he's been spat upon, the crown of thorns is his head, the blood's running down him, he's been whipped, he's been bruised, he's been beaten, he's nailed to a cross, he's naked, people are jeering, they're spitting on him, they're shouting, come down from the cross, and if you're the son of God, it's just an awful, awful scene, horrible, and she's standing there watching it, hurting, the sword that Simeon prophesied when he, he was just a baby that would pierce her heart, is piercing her heart, must have been awful for her. And, and while it's going on, Jesus is, is saying some things. He's fully conscious, and he's speaking. And in, Matthew, sorry, in John chapter 19, verse 25, and there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, he's writing this, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman. Didn't say mother, he says woman. Now that was a, a polite term, nothing improper about that. You know, when you go to America, particularly, or you've you, you been in the Philippines many times, you go into a store, you're addressed as sir or ma'am. Sir, ma'am, or madam. And, and it's a polite address. It's a more formal address. It's not mum or even mother. It's it's like, madam, it's a formal address he's making here. Woman, behold your son. And he's meaning John here. Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. 
And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Ah. Even in his dying breath, he was taking care of his mother, whom he loved dearly, and making sure for all practical purposes that John would take care of her because up to that point, we don't know when Joseph died, but Jesus was called the carpenter. If Joseph had been about, he would have been called the carpenter, but he's the carpenter. So Joseph, at some point, had died. Jesus was the oldest in the family. He was a breadwinner, but no more. Hasn't been now for a while because he's been on the road three and a half years in ministry, but he's making sure that his mother is taken care of. But notice he doesn't address her as mother. He says, woman woman. Again, that distance letting us know that she would have no part in his redemptive work on that cross. She could not be co-redemptrix. He alone would suffer for the sins of the world and no one else. There's only one more place where Mary is mentioned and that's in the upper room in the day of Pentecost. Well, actually, before the day of Pentecost fell, when they're up in that room, verse 12 of Acts 1, and we'll finish. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they, saw, where they were staying. And they saw Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The last time she's ever mentioned again in the New Testament. Not in any of Paul's epistles, not in Peter's, not in John, never mentioned again. Deliberately by the Holy Spirit letting us know her position. And so today, this Christmas Advent time, today we have honored Mary, scripturally, biblically, and she deserves to be honored. What a precious woman of God that she was. Right from her very childhood right to the day she died and was buried. And God is looking for young men and young women that he can entrust with his callings and his purposes. And he's looking for devout men and women. He's looking for those whom are godly that he can give his blessings and his callings to and to reach others, and to touch their world. What this woman does is touch the whole world, but that's unique, and that will never happen again. But you can touch your world. So young people today, love the Lord your God. Get into his word. Trust him with all of your heart, and let him use you for his glory, like Mary and Joseph did. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word 
challenges and inspires us at the same time. We thank you, Lord, that these accounts in your word of these men and women of God are there for a purpose for us to learn from, for our admonition. So we give you thanks for Mary and for Joseph. We give you thanks that you came <coughs> to that manger and then you went to that cross. So we bless you today and help us over this Christmas period to be mindful of these things. And as much as we love the meals and the fellowship and the fun and all of that and the giving and receiving of presents, help us to remember the truth of it. And we'll give you the honor and we'll give you the glory. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.